0: Hello and welcome along again to the Northern Agenda podcast, back after a short break and firing on all cylinders to bring you the best weekly analysis and insight into the politics of the north of England. I'm Rob Parsons, a political journalist based in Leeds who covers the ups and downs of northern politics and I try to distill it all into a daily email newsletter, The Northern Agenda, featuring the stories from around our region you won't hear from the Westminster media. Now, as Angela Rayner, newly in post as Labour's shadow levelling up secretary, told a major union conference this week, the battle for the general election is just getting started. And our two guests today will give us an idea about what we can expect from the two main parties as we get closer and closer to choosing our next government and what it might mean for us in the north. Later on, we'll hear from Paula Barker, MP for Liverpool Wavertree and part of Angela Rayner's shadow levelling up team about what her party has in store on big topics like devolution and whether she's concerned about left-wing candidates being blocked from Labour shortlists in places like Wirral West and Bolton North East. But first, let's get the Tory perspective on what lies ahead. As there's a new organisation hoping to come up with the bold policy ideas which could persuade voters in the north of England to back the Conservatives at the next election, repeating the seismic shift in voting patterns we saw in 2019. The Northern Caucus describes itself as a group of centre-right thinkers who will champion popular policies within the Conservative Party to deliver for towns and cities across the north ahead of the next general election. Backed by influential Northern MPs, John Stevenson and Richard Holden, can they win back the so-called Red Wall voters who, if the polls are to be believed, are turning their backs on Rishi Sunak? Let's find out with Callum Newton, the founder of the Northern Caucus, also a senior researcher at the centre-right Onward Think Tank and a Sunderland football supporter, I see, so he knows a bit about battling in the face of adversity. Callum, welcome along to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: So why don't we start just with an explanation about what is the Northern Caucus beyond what I've explained already? Why, why did you set it up and a bit about, you know, yourself, what got you into this, this, this line of work?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the Northern Caucus, um, as you mentioned during your intro, is effectively a group of sort of right people from across politics, uh, both in Westminster and across the North. We've come together to you know, develop ideas that we think can help the Conservatives appeal to 2019 Northern voters uh, ahead of the next election to keep the North, well, to keep the party competitive in the North um, as we, you know, lead into the next election.
0: I guess the fact that such a group is required, I suppose, implies that after Boris Johnson won this huge 80-seat majority, largely on the back of, you know, taking territory in the North, he had a lot of a policies, obviously, that appealed to the North at that stage, that somehow the Conservatives have lost lost their way a bit in terms of appealing to the North uh, and its voters. I mean, what, why has that happened, in your in your view?
1: Yeah, so I think um, a lot of the sort of academic literature around this, um, you know, they, it, goes, it goes to the, the acceptance that um, a lot of Northern voters um, have been gradually moving towards the Conservative Party over the last decade and 2019 was the big uh, the big switch, mainly due to um, Brexit. So Boris's famous motto of you know get Brexit done, and that was the big the big tipping point. Um, and sort of now that Brexit's kind of been resolved and dropping off the political radar a little bit, we think there's sort of this new gap now within the market that the Conservatives need to um, sort of reappear, uh, reappeal to those voters to keep them on side. So that, that can be done through a variety of different ways. Really, I think for us personally, it kind of Drops into three three main buckets um, that sort of address sort of macro level concerns around um, sort of power and financing and and uh, sort of moving resources across the region, but also on a micro level in terms of tangible things that people see in their everyday lives. So, for us, the three buckets are effectively sort of expanding devolution um, that can be done through a variety of ways. mainly sort of, sort of through new mayoralties. Mer- and combined authorities across the region second is sort of improving public transport both sort of within cities and within the region but also crucially between sort of rural and towns and then the third being effectively a sort of joined up industrial strategy that sort of leverages all parts of the economy but also builds on the north's strong manufacturing heritage to sort of re, uh, to rebuild sort of some of
0: the lost manufacturing economies um, across the region You've set up this the northern caucus, and obviously you've got a couple of uh, m p s to back you H- how do you get your message across to Vichy Sinak or michael gove or whoever whoever in government you 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 want to reach? What's the strategy for winning them over to adopt sort of more northern friendly policies
1: yeah, so I think um you know there's there's a lot of as you mentioned in the um, in the intro we've got um a a lot of very strong conservative voices within parliament already making the case. Um, you know, John, Richard, and other members of the NRG especially. Um, but outside Parliament, sort of within the broader sort of policy realm, there isn't really that many voices, you know, putting forward a concerted vision for what this looks like. Um, so for us, I think, in terms of next steps around this, obviously we had the launch event earlier this week in Westminster, but uh, we're sort of working on finalising our policies and then we can be able to present that to members of Parliament and then also senior members within the Conservative Party to sort of make the case backed up by a lot of the polling that's already out there at the moment. We know what voters care about. We know what they're interested in. And these are things that you can sort of use, use as a bit of an olive branch to um, Northern voters and say, here's the things that we can actually deliver on your priorities.
0: Do you think that the policies that you offer, do they need to be, I mean, a lot of the stuff you, you mentioned there about having a regional economic uh, industrial strategy, things like that, are things, I guess, might take a while for the effects of those to be felt is what you offer going to have to include some more kind of retail policies I guess stuff that is a bit easier to understand the impacts of it in the in the short term with an election being you know uh, only a year away potentially
1: yeah absolutely I think um, a lot of our stuff is obviously um, a little bit more macro uh, and long term and, and I think that's just the nature of the leveling up agenda writ large it is a long-term project um, but in terms of the sort of the more retail stuff yes absolutely I think uh, one of the ideas that we're kind of thinking about at the moment is sort of um, expanding the um, the two pound bus cap on journeys. And um, that's something that was introduced as a temporary measure. Um, but especially during the cost of living crisis, it's something that uh, we would like to see sort of rolled out and, and, and sort of kept on board for the medium term, at least. Um, just to help people get, get around the region and, and, and actually have a more of effectively commuting, but also, you know, living as well um you know i'm from um, from the northeast originally grew up there went to university there um, grew up in, in, in sort of the, the rural county durham really and a lot of the um the bus prices um relative to incomes are extremely high um for what would what would be very short journeys um you know and, and when people are earning on average less in in, in the northeast and other areas and it, having, having large bus fares effectively that 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 does take a a, a sizable share of their um after tax income relative to other parts of the country you know I, I live in london now and we have we have caps on tfl services um and it works well and i think we'd like to see a similar model rolled out um in other parts of the the
0: north i'm interested also Callum in how well you think vishy Sinak and his administration are currently doing in appealing to the north's voters we're, we're talking on a a Thursday afternoon, you might have seen the Institute for Government, a respected think tank, has put out a report which is quite critical of Mr. Sinak's commitment to levelling up and the government more generally. It says long long-running failings in government have held the agenda uh, the agenda back. Obviously, the government has a lot of things on its plate to be wrestling with. Do you think it's true to say that its commitment to levelling up is perhaps not what it was? Two or three years ago, I, I have seen, I've seen the, seen the report, and I think, um, you know,
1: as, as, you, as you alluded to in your question there, I think, um, that the government is dealing with a number of quite, quite pressing priorities at the moment. I think, especially around the cost of living crisis, dealing with inflation, but also, you know, a new land war in Europe, in Ukraine. Um, these are things that take up a lot of sort of political oxygen in Westminster, and I think. Uh, a lot of the levelling up agenda is very long-term and, uh, you know, it's something that um, doesn't necessarily make headlines every day, but it's something that, um, you know, it's going to, it's going to be, you know, a, a lot of long-term spending commitments that are going to be, you know, over the next decade, two decades and whatnot. And I think um, it's, it's fair to say that levelling up is probably not necessarily a number one priority for the government, but, you know, they, they, are, they are still investing large sums of money into the leveling up agenda consistently. Um, so I, I wouldn't say it's that they number one. And we think it's uh the leveling up agenda is really, really important to uh northern voters. You know, there, there's a lot of really interesting polling we've done in terms of people's understanding of leveling up, and more importantly, voters actually expect leveling up to be delivered. And I think it's really important for groups like ourselves to say to the party, you know, you can't really afford to take a foot off the pedal with leveling up. Uh, we know that we are very much aware that there's other um, very pressing issues that need to be addressed. But levelling up is is something that, that, if done well and done properly, um, could really help um, the Conservatives uh, establish a solid base up in Northern England um, going forward, which is, you know, the, the, North, the North of England now is, is quite possibly one of the most competitive political um, environments in the UK. Um, and I think um, our position really on it is now is that the the road to Street the next election really runs through northern England. Um, it would be unlikely that um, the Conservatives or Labour really can um, win an outright majority without winning over a lot of the traditional red wall seats in the region. So both parties really will need to um, continue with the levelling of agenda going forward, really.
0: There's one quite divisive uh, issue that's in the news today, which relates to the north, which, I, which I'm interested in your view on and how this fits into all of this. Uh, HS2, high-speed rail link between... London and the Midlands in the north, or at least that was the original plan. It's been reported today that the northern leg of HS2 between uh, Birmingham and Manchester, stopping at Crewe, might not happen in the end. Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor, are in talks about abandoning it uh, if the Independent is to be believed. Obviously, you know, northern business leaders are very much behind HS2 as a concept and the increased capacity it brings, the increased better rail connections. But I know there's a lot of, there's a quite a strong school of thought amongst conservatives in the North, that for them, HS2 is a bad thing. It will go through their constituencies, not benefit them in any way, but it will mean that, you know, houses in their patch will get knocked down, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, as far, do you think HS2 is a a vote winner or a, or a vote loser for for the government at the next election? On the
1: surface, I think it's a, it's a vote winner. I think, um, you know, uh, as someone who's, um, who's uh, very familiar with northern uh, train services, especially the Trans-Pennine route, I think it's, it's, uh, it's something that def- definitely needs to, to be done in terms of improving um, rail transport links across the region. And people want to see it. Uh, you know, and it's, it's something that actually will demonstrate a, a tangible improvement to people's lives. I've seen some of the some of the media coverage around um, the government's decision. Well, they're, they're considering um, sc- scrapping uh, those elements. I think that's not necessarily the right move from the Northern Caucus perspective. We think actually that's something you should definitely be pressing ahead with, uh, and we'd like to um, make the case for that in um, uh, as uh, as we sort of progress and finalise our policy positions around this.
0: The press release that Northern Caucus put out mentioned uh, aspirational policies. You know, appealing to the the, the positive. Uh, side of northern voters. I mean, is that where you think the parties, the conservatives campaigning is likely to go in the next few months? Or is it more likely to be sort of negative, attacking Labour, attacking Keir Starmer, maybe more of the culture wars stuff that we've been seeing? I think it feels like a lot of what we've been hearing recently is, you know, stop the votes, the war on woke, things like that, I mean, transgender issues, trying to be weaponising those, I mean, presumably that is not what you would prefer to see uh, from the Conservatives in terms of you'd rather them put forward more positive aspirational policies to win over voters.
1: Yeah, I think, I think, I think, um, yes, we'd we'd like to see a more positive message around this. I think as we sort of li- start leading up to the next election, um, that there's, you know naturally there'll be a, we expect there'll be a narrowing of the poll somewhat. It's, it's um, generally how elections broadly work. Um, and and it 's very likely that both parties will be pursuing a number of um sort of wedge issues, whether that be sort of housing uh crime as you 've seen quite recently with the um sort of neut- nutrient neutrality um issues as well as becoming a wedge issue that both parties are sort of playing on i think for us personally we'd quite like to see um a more positive, uh, positive message put forward to the north you know in terms of you know a lot a lot of people across the north um, you know they, they want to see their communities improve want to do better uh quite entrepreneurial and we want to be sort of speaking to those sort of aspirational voters that's where we think the Conservative Party, you know, that's who they should be that's who they should be targeting. That's the sort of people that the party traditionally speaks for across the rest of the UK. So I don't think there's any reason why they shouldn't be doing that in the north per se.
0: My final question, Colin, which I hope you don't consider to be a bit defeatist from your point of view. I've I've heard some people suggest that there comes a point when the government has been in power for a long time, as the Conservatives have thirteen thirteen years. The electorate just is sick of them, basically. They 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 don't, they they ignore Whatever they have to say, they could come up with the best policies imaginable. But the electorate has just felt just come to the conclusion that that they think they want someone else in power. I guess that was what happened with with Labour uh, after their 13 years in power. Is is that a risk here that no matter what, if you can persuade the Conservatives to come up with a pro Northern positive agenda? the electorate at large and that in the North has given up on the Conservatives now and they just want some change and they, and, and it doesn't matter what you come up with.
1: I'm, I'm not sure. I think um, there's, there's definitely scope, you know, we, we see it in terms of sort of polling trends as well. I think there is definitely still scope for um, the Conservatives to do well in the North. Uh, you know, this is a long-term um, sort of structural realignment that we're seeing sort of post-Brexit um, around voting patterns and things. So I think um Regardless, of, the, so the Northern Caucus, I know we're, we're talking about policies leading up immediately to the next election, but we're thinking sort of longer longer term as well around structural trends, um, around, you know, population across the north and what people want. Uh, and where do we sort of think, think the party is going to be sort of in the medium term uh, and making sure we're, we're appealing to um, people across, across the region, really? Um, if, hopefully that answers your question.
0: Callum Newton of the
1: Northern Caucus. Thank you so much thank you very much for having me.
0: Now, let's move to the other side of the Commons Chamber, to Labour, who in recent days have been moving the pieces on their political chessboard with a reshuffle that Keir Starmer says will mean, if you excuse my mixed metaphors, he now has the strongest possible players on the pitch. Perhaps the most eye-catching move was Labour's deputy leader, Angela Rayner taking on the levelling-up brief in the Shadow Cabinet, giving one of Labour's most effective politicians a meaty topic on which to tackle the government in the coming months. But the new role for the Ashton-underline MP means her fellow Greater Manchester politician Lisa Nandy, a previous guest on this podcast, has taken what seems to be a lesser role in international development. Ms. Rainer has also been moving things around in her own levelling-up shadow ministerial team, and it means a new position for my guest today, Paula Barker, MP for Liverpool Wavertree, since 2019. And as of last week, Labour's new shadow minister for devolution and the English regions. It means she'll be dealing with the likes of Metro Mayor's Andy Burnham and Ben Houchen in the Tees Valley, as well as attempting to solve the puzzle of how to spread opportunity to some of our most left behind areas. There's loads to talk about. So uh, it's great to have you on the, po- on the podcast, Paula.
2: Thanks, Rob. It's great to be here. Thanks for the
0: invitation. I'm really interested to start with just about what it's like having to get up to speed with a completely new subject area as you as you have. I, I mean, I imagine it must be very challenging for someone like uh, Grant Shapps, say, to get everything he knows about energy or transport out of his head and then instead become an expert overnight in defence. And you were shadow minister for homelessness and rough sleeping. Take me through what it's like since you got the call saying you've got this new new role in the in the in the shadow ministerial team getting up to speed on devolution and the regions how, how do you go about doing that
2: well um yeah i mean it's a really exciting new role it has to be said and i'm genuinely thrilled um to have been asked by angela to uh to take on the role of course it is slightly bittersweet for me because i have had to leave uh my uh other role of homelessness and rough sleeping and it was a you know an absolute honor to serve in that role and work with uh, such a wonderful compassionate sector um But obviously my new role is still about absolutely addressing inequalities head on and supporting those at the sharp end. So I've been in post for just over a week. Um, obviously started to um, have meetings with uh, various uh, key stakeholders um, and just really doing my research and trying to get up to speed uh, with the new brief and starting to look at uh, developing policies because obviously I've spent the la- well the whole of this year actually uh, developing policies in my home homelessness and rough sleeping brief Um, and of course I will be uh, handing all of those sorts of policies over to Mike Hamesbury who takes up the mantle for us uh, along with uh, the building safety brief as well.
0: I'm interested in what you make of the reshuffle in general I mean I I heard one observer say that there are now more Blairites uh, in the cabinet with the likes of Liz Kendall and Hilary Benn than there were when Tony Blair was Prime Minister. Um, you're, You're on the left of the party, back Jeremy Corbyn to be, be leader. I mean, do, do you worry about the ideological direction the party is going in, that it's becoming too sort of centrist or you know Tory Tory light?
2: I think that reshuffles are always incredibly difficult, and uh you know not everybody is going to be uh, happy. Um, I think we've got a great front bench team. I think that there's some really talented individuals. I think we are entering an incredibly exciting period over the next 12 months. Um, And I think, you know, what we should be focusing on is not, um, you know, differences of opinion within a party because we will always have that and it's you know it's healthy for us to have differences of opinion but it's about us um you know coming together and working together as one team to deliver for the people of this country who sadly Um, have seen their living standards fall uh, under this Tory government over the last 13 years, and our public services are absolutely decimated. And I think that, you know, it's time for us to um, put any differences aside, work together collaboratively, and change the fortunes of our country uh, for the better, which is what we did under the last Labour government.
0: And you mentioned that you know not everyone's going to be happy in a reshuffle, and I think uh, a lot of people were quite surprised that Lisa Nandy was moved from her levelling up brief to a brief that doesn't directly shadow a a secretary of state international development and obviously now Angela Rayner is in in charge uh, of that Uh, I think the thinking was that you know Lisa Nandy has been quite effective in 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 that role and done done well I mean what what do you think the thinking is there in terms of putting Angela sort of front and centre of the levelling up debate
2: I think both Angela and Lisa are incredibly talented individuals. Um, and, I, you know, I don't know what was behind the thinking, because obviously that that was uh, for Kia to make those decisions. Um, I think what is clear is that, you know, um, Lisa going to the international development brief of which she obviously has a background in um, and she did a wonderful job last time she's going to do an equally wonderful job this time and I think the fact that um, you know she's moved with good grace um, just shows just what a team player she is and would demonstrate that you know she has absolutely no ego and she's very much a team player wants to get the job done and wants to support a Labour government going forward she's going to be a huge success in the international development brief she's a wonderful wonderful woman she's a wonderful friend equally Angela has got a background in local government um, in terms of her social care career and um, obviously um, in the trade union movement so she's more than uh, up for the job of uh, shadow secretary of state in DLUC, and of course she's going to be our deputy's prime minister and I think that's absolutely wonderful
0: now, like Angela Rayner, I mean, you, you've got a background in local government and, and the trade trade union movement. I think people might not know that you, prior to becoming an MP, you spent the best part of three decades uh, in local government in some form. Can you just t- sort of tell us a bit about that, and maybe what 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 you learned that perhaps you can apply to your new your new job?
2: I think you know. <laughs> Local government um, is often uh, the unsung heroes uh, in terms of public services. Uh, Of course, our NHS uh, is often uh, named as the jewel in the crown. And and I understand that and rightly so. Our NHS is absolutely fantastic. It does wonderful things. But, you know, local government actually provides services from the cradle to the grave. And sometimes people forget that Um, local government has been, uh, you know, really, really hit hard over more than a decade of Tory austerity. Um, And I just think it's got such a huge role to play in our society going forward, particularly with the devolution agenda as well. Um, And, you know, some of my happiest memories were of local authorities. Um, I left school um, on a friday at the age of 16 and i started work on monday with liverpool city council did a variety of jobs from you know human resources to building safety and control and um, to customer services um, before going on to a number of neighboring authorities um, and you know it gave me a really really good grounding it gave me the ability to understand the um the structures, um, the negotiation skills um, that I will require in my new role going forward um, and it just gave me a really really positive uh, grounding uh, for going forward um, to take in, in any direction really uh, no matter what role I do uh, within Parliament I think.
0: Devolution uh, obviously in the job title is a large part of your remit so you know the hand the handing of power and resource from Westminster out to local leaders whether it's mayors or other forms of government I feel like I and others really want to know more about what Labour's offer on devolution is going to be at the next election versus uh, what the Conservatives are already doing or have done uh, on the issue while in power obviously Keir Starmer commissioned former Prime Minister Gordon Brown to do a big commission on the sort of rewiring of the the British state, which had a lot of recommendations in. But I don't think we know yet which ones uh, Labour are going to take forward into their election manifesto. Um, How are you going to differentiate yourselves from the Conservatives, who, like they say, they've done more to hand power to the regions in their 13 years in power than, you know, Labour did for their whole previous terms before that?
2: Well, I mean, I think that's really interesting, Rob. I mean, the Conservatives said that they would prioritise devolution and commit to levelling up the country. And quite frankly, it simply hasn't happened. Um, The Tory record is one of broken promises. Um, It's left our communities struggling and many feeling abandoned. And the truth is that the the Conservatives were never truly interested in devolution and their record in government makes that completely clear. In terms of our offer going forward, I see that true devolution is about empowering communities and reducing regional inequalities. And as Shadow Minister for Devolution in English regions, that's what I'm interested in. That's what I want to deliver. And forgive me, I can't give you any definitive policies at this moment in time, because obviously I've only uh, been in the brief for a week and a half. And and obviously I've got to uh, start to develop those policies. But one of the real positives of this week, I think, is, you know, seeing... uh, Uh, Angela Rayner's speech at conference, um, uh, sorry, Trade Union uh, TUC conference this week, talking about uh, creating an economy that works for everyone, which means bolstering workers' rights, um, you know getting rid of the anti-trade union laws putting an end to fire and rehire zero hour contracts and it's all part of a new deal for working people which puts money in people's pockets it gives them the confidence to spend money in our economy and get our economy growing um, once again and you know As someone who has spent, uh, you know, 30 years working in local government and serving my community, I understand that that is what our communities need. So over the next few months, I will be working with Angela to create uh, a devolution plan that's not only ambitious, but delivers hope for so many of the communities across England that have been left struggling over the last uh, 13 years. And um, Keir Starmer was actually in my home city of Liverpool um, earlier this week, and he very much talked about uh, the importance of devolution, the importance of local people having a say over uh, their regions and their communities, and giving people that hope An aspiration. And more importantly, you know, um, certainly when I was in the homeless brief, I um, visited the homeless, um, a homeless charity in Greater Manchester. It was a housing first project. I spoke to a wonderful guy called Adrian who had many problems in his past with uh, drug and alcohol abuse and Housing First gave him a home, gave him the wraparound support and services and we talked about hope and he said to me you know hope is really important Paula but what's even more important is a future and Housing First gave me the future and that's very much how I see A Labour government. It's not just about providing people with that hope and aspiration for them to be able to go on and achieve it. It's about labour and labour in government providing our communities with a future, and that's very much um, at the heart of what I want to do in this new role.
0: Well, we'll watch with interest for Labour's plan for devolution. I think one of the one of the things that people have observed uh, with Keir Starmer as. Labour leader is that he. Um, I think it's been widely reported that there's some some tensions between him and uh, Andy Burnham, who's possibly the most high-profile local politician in the North. And Burnham has complained of, you know, Keir Starmer's aid undermining him, and there've been various things that have been reported, um, which I, g- I guess might prompt one to think it's all very well a party saying when they're in opposition. When we get into power, we're gonna devolve more than anyone ever has. We're gonna hand all this power over to over to other people. But the temptation is when you actually get into power, you wanna make sure things are done in the way that you want them to be done. And so actually you don't devolve as much as you maybe say you're going to. And the sort of tensions between Keir Starmer and Andy Burnham were kind of a symptom, a symptom of that. I mean, is that is that a valid fear that a Labour in government won't be as radical on devolution as perhaps you're suggesting?
2: Well certainly you know if I'm privileged enough if we win the next election and I believe we will to be retained as the Minister for Devolution in English regions um, it's very much my intention to make sure that we do devolve power to local communities so you know that's my firm commitment on that. In terms of tensions between Andy and Kia I couldn't you know I couldn't comment I, d- I don't I know each of them individually obviously but I don't know what their, their personal relationship is is, is like and I, but I think you know I think he is very um proud of Andy's record in Greater Manchester. I think he's done some absolutely incredible things um and I know that you know he's committed to um retaining being greater Manchester mayor and he will he will continue to deliver for the people of Greater Manchester.
0: On a sort of, I guess, related topic, I mean, this is one that you, you may have uh, taken an interest in. I, I, when, in terms of when Labour is choosing their candidates for general election candidates and for and to, to be the first Metro Mayor of the Northeast, East, uh, Labour HQ has taken quite a, a controlling role in who makes it through to the shortlist. I mean, I guess that has always been the case going back years and years, but it has prompted quite a lot of local... Tensions in places like Willow West, Bolton North East, I've seen where sort of more left wing candidates have not been allowed onto the shortlist. And the 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 the, uh, the thought process being, I guess, that is that Kia and Labour HQ, they, uh, you know, they want a more centrist, uh, perhaps, candidate to put forward to the general election. As someone who is maybe more on the left of the party, I mean, are you, does that, concern you at all or is that just what the party needs to do to to give itself the best chance of winning the next general election
2: I think it's incredibly difficult to be honest and I think uh, selections difficult you know um, I think back to my selection in 2019 and um, you know they're, they're highly competitive and and you know often Uh, not a nice situation to be in. I think it's right and proper that due diligence is undertaken um, when obviously candidates want to stand for high office. It happens at a local level with councillors, so it shouldn't be any different for us as MPs. And obviously we've had to learn lessons from um, those such as Jared O'Mara and others in recent years. So due diligence has an important role to play. I also know really, really good candidates, um, some of whom are friends who uh, unfortunately have not been uh, able to stand. and obviously, you've mentioned Wirral and Bolton, and I think it's really sad and frustrating when things like this happened. Obviously, I'm not involved in the pro- process, so it is hard to comment. I think it's really important that the party has put in an appeals process, and I think uh, you know, for those people who feel aggrieved, they should and they must submit um, their their find, you know, their their sort of concerns via that process. But I also think that it's very important for the NEC, the National Executive Council, to, um, sorry, National Executive Committee, I should say. It's really, really important for um, people serving on that committee to understand that it's really, really important for us to have representatives from a diverse range of backgrounds with differing life experiences. Um, because that's how we get the best parliament and I think sometimes what concerns me is I think society in general we've lost the art of debate years ago you know we could have said oh you know Rob I completely disagree with your view on xyz because and you know we may walk away disagreeing with each other and agreeing to disagree or we may walk away thinking actually you know what I think Rob made a really good point then and it's made me think again about that particular subject and i'm going to go away and i'm going to do some more research so i think it has been difficult i would urge anyone who is is uh you know obsessed by by what they've faced to avail themselves of the appeals process Um, but i do think that we need um, a diverse range of individuals serving our communities um, and being the voices for them in Parliament. I think that's hugely important. And sometimes, as I say, that means that, you know, we have uh, candidates from all wings of the party.
0: So finally, um Paula, just, I guess, throwing it forward a little bit, uh, once Labour has all its candidates, um, we're, we're possibly only 12 months away or less, maybe, from the next general election. And it, it seems like the, the nature of the sort of political debate is in quite a lot of ways getting more negative, the sort of more personal uh, attacks going in both in both directions, from Labour to Conservative and, and back again. I mean, you've got a pretty, a pretty sizable majority in Liverpool way, is, So I, I imagine, you know, you're not but feeling relatively comfortable. But in terms of the, the general tone of the campaigning that we're going to see, I mean, do, do you expect it to be quite a dirty, sort of negative election like is that is that what we can expect in the next few months
2: i would hope not i really would hope not i you know i think um you know to use an old footballing analogy play the ball not the man uh, or play the ball not the person um and i really think that that is very very important i think that um you know with the sort of um the explosion of social media um, lots of people believe that they can sit behind a keyboard and that they can write anything they want, say anything they want, and that, you know, they don't need to be accountable. And to be perfectly honest, that that's, that's right in so many ways. You know, if you look at the likes of Twitter or X as it is now, um, and, you know, Elon Musk taking over, you know, he... He's been very liberal in his views. It's, you know, it's very difficult in terms of social media platforms. Um, so I would hope that it's not personal. I've, you know, I've had that in in campaigns, um, you know, when I stood in the general election in 2019. Do I envisage that it will happen again in the next general election? Probably. Um, but I think, you know, The main thing is if you are if you are really, really clear about your policies and what you stand for and what you want to deliver and about making our country a better, stronger economy, uh, a better place to live, work, educate, you know, be educated and to grow then actually you don't need to resort to negative campaigning and dirty tactics. And that's what I personally uh, try and live by, to be perfectly honest. So I want to see us as a party. I know I will be individually focused on talking to our constituents and the wider electorates, taking on board their concerns, their hopes for um, a government uh, going forward. And um, I'll be developing my strategy for devolution in the English regions, one that truly delivers. And of course, um, and you know, probably the most important thing, I will be working hard for my constituents of Liverpool Wavertree and ensuring that they get the best quality service from me and my team
0: play the ball, not the player. Let's hope that is something that uh, politicians of all colours abide by uh, as the general election gets a bit closer. Paula Barker, thank you so much.
2: Thanks so much, Rob. It's been an absolute pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to the Northern Agenda podcast. And don't forget, you can subscribe to our daily newsletter at thenorthernagenda.co.uk. It's more important than ever for Northern voices to be heard. The Northern Agenda is a Laudable production for Reach. It's presented by me, Rob Parsons, and it's produced by Daniel J. McCoughlin. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to The Northern Agenda wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Apple and Spotify. Also, check out the other Laudable podcasts. See you next week. Bye-bye.